No, here we go. Fill the bottle with coins or money or a check between now and, and Mother's, not Mother's Day, Father's Day. And we'll collect those at that time, okay? And when you bring in a bottle, just put it here on the altar because this act of giving is a sacred thing. Also, I wanted to share with you guys, um, <clears throat> if, I don't know if you remember, but Rodney Seward uh, died this uh, earlier this year, and he did a wood burning that he has given to the church in 2022. Just want to share that with you. He is a very gifted artist, so we're going to hang that someplace in the church. We appreciate Rodney um, sharing that with us, and um, his sister and mom and dad presented that to us this morning, and we're very, very grateful for that. Also, for those of you that uh, are here for the first time, fill out one of these info cards, but on the back, most importantly, are prayer requests. So we had four of these cards turned in last week that I want to share with you. Um, one of them was by a young woman named June Hensel. I normally don't share the details of these, but you'll get it in a second. Uh, she's from Lebanon, Maine. Uh, we asked for her phone number, and she wrote iPhone 13 down, which I think is pretty funny. Says she's been here about five times. And how did you hear about us? My grandpa is the pastor. Thank you, guys. And she wrote on the back, prayer request for a safe trip home, and that we had a great time in Florida. She's thankful for that. Her cousin Drew wrote, uh, just prayer request for a safe car ride and a safe trip for the Hensels, and uh, also thanking God for animals and his family. They love animals. Clara Markham also says she's been here five times, and she says the pastor is my grandpa, and they spell pastor, P-A-S-T-E-R, but that's okay. And then praise and prayer that the Hensels are having a safe trip home. And then Lucy Hensel can write her name okay, barely, but she says that she's thankful too for her family and animals. So. We appreciate the prayer team that saved those for Vic and I so that we could see that our grandkids take this seriously, right? They, they, we're to be like kids and we're to trust that God answers prayers and all those good things. So it, that was exciting to read. Plus, it brings a smile on, on your face. So I've been thinking through, uh, y'all, I've, I've not really been feeling good recently and um, just going crazy, to be honest with you, um, but I've been preaching on uh, the events after the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, and how Jesus revealed himself to his disciples, and then last week we, uh, we had a guest speaker, but the week before that uh, we, we talked about how in the process of revealing himself, Jesus was taken up into heaven, and we'll go to the passage again just as a reminder to, to remember the commands that, that were given during that time. But in this process, the second coming of Christ is presented in these last day activities of when Jesus is going to come again. Now, <clears throat> I was asked recently why evangelical or conservative Christians are so susceptible to all the stuff that's going on these days in terms of conspiracy and plotting and government and 
wrapping everything up, our faith with politics and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's really, uh, we haven't seen in our time anything quite like this. I can assure you there have been other times in history where there have been times of hysteria and conspiracies and plots and Caesars and rebellions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but this is relatively different for us in our time and age. And I'm hoping that when we look at these passages, uh, to be as biblical as I can with you this morning uh, in talking about what the Bible says about the return of Christ. In fact, I'm going to do this uh, next week as well. We're going to get into this a little deeper uh, because as I studied, there's just some things that you just don't want to gloss over or if you don't understand. I mean, I've been studying this for years and I feel like I understand it, but there's some difficult things in passages uh, that we need to look at. One of the problems for many of us uh, is when I talk to young men and women who are going into ministry and we talk about the return of Christ and the belief system that we have in the Alliance, um, many of them don't really care about when Jesus is going to come back. They really, really don't care about it. They don't think about it. They don't talk about it. They're not concerned about it. And they need to be concerned about it. And they need to talk about it. And they need to understand it. And I understand also that a sermon like this, for some of you who are in difficult times in your life, this might not seem to you like something that is going to make you feel better. But I think if you understand the point, and you understand the direction that the scriptures are going, this is everything to do with you standing on solid ground and gaining a right perspective for your own personal life in terms of how to live and carry on life. I also, and Bob and I were talking this morning about this because in, in my experience, um, we've, I've just been exposed to so many different writers, so many different perspectives, so many great, amazing, tremendous preachers talking about the second coming to understand this. There are lots of really smart people. There are lots of spirit-led people. There are lots of spirit-filled people. There are lots of historically brilliant, spirit-led, spirit-filled students, theologians. In other words, there's all kinds of really awesome individuals out there who have different perspectives and different viewpoints on what I'm going to say to you this morning. And we don't have to agree. This is what we need to agree on this morning. If you get nothing else from the service, this is what we need to agree on. Number one, Jesus is returning. Number one, Jesus is returning. No doubt about it. If all the other stuff's true, then that's true. Jesus is returning. Everybody got that? So let's say it with me. Jesus is returning. Got it. Number two, <clears throat> we don't know when. We don't know when. Everybody say it together. We don't know when. Now, let's go back to the first question. Why do we get sucked into all these theories? And that has to do with the preachers that my generation was exposed to coming out of the 50s and the 1960s because a lot of the preaching on the return of Christ became very, very popular 
coming out of World War I and World War II, I mean, if you can imagine world wars and people living in the end of times and all the craziness that was going on and, and people looking at culture and society and how it's changing, well, there would be a lot of sermons, sermons on the return of Christ, especially as we read through the passages. When you get into the 60s and 70s, I came to Jesus in 1972, in January of 1972, you're dealing with uh, the, the Vietnam War, right? The, the communist stuff that was going on all over China and, and USSR and the Cold War and everything. And then add to it the hippies and the long hair. One of the funniest things to me is being a kid growing up and I had long hair, okay? Yes, I smoked marijuana a couple times before I came to Jesus. I'll confess that to you, but I came to Jesus. He, he your grandson's liking that. He just said amen, because I came to Jesus, right? I gave my life to Christ. But, you know, um, that, it, to, to most folks, it's, and I'll never forget, it seemed like the world was coming to an end in the 60s and early 70s, right? A revolution everywhere, people not wearing shoes, long hair. But now I can go to Waycross, Georgia, and find a Bubba driving a Chevy pickup, a 1968 Chevy pickup, and he's got hair down to his ankles and is smoking reefer, okay? So, so, so things have kind of flipped in the cultural standards and all that kind of stuff. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I mean, we, this world, the world that we're living in now is turned upside down. There, there's never been... In history, what we are experiencing today, just because of the technology that's available now that wasn't available. But that also adds to the problem. It adds to the problem. And let me tell you why. I'm not in my notes, but I've got to make sure my, my Bible stays up there. One of the problems is some of y'all listen to 10 and 15 and 20 preachers a week preaching sermons. And it's, I think, great because you want to get the word. But, you know, what you're getting is 20 or 30 individuals' interpretations of the word. And there's so many different thoughts and ideas out there that people come to me and they go, I just don't know what to believe. And, and we have forgotten the personal reading of the word of God, prayer, and listening to the voice of God and relying upon the Holy Spirit to guide and teach us as individuals. You don't need my opinion to live your life. I'm more than willing to sit with you and talk with you and guide you and be your pastor, your shepherd. I, I love to do that. I love you guys. But you don't need an, another opinion. You need word and scripture. And so when you hear different opinions all the time, and I have a friend who calls me up, she says, man, I was listening to this, and a good friend, and, and, and I, I was her pastor years ago, and I, and I meet with her occasionally now, a good friend of Vicki's, and, and she'll listen to some preacher. She says, I'm really confused. I just, don't want, I just don't know what to believe. And I just take her back to the Word. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Scripture says. 
Because all of us at one point or time in our lives, maybe, I say all of us, but maybe, have had somebody come to us and say, this is when Jesus is coming back. I just want to suggest to you, let's go back over the rules. Number one, say it with me, Jesus is coming back. Rule number two, we don't know when. So when somebody says to you that they know when, stop listening to the voice on that matter. Now, again, when I was younger, um, these on the, I, I, I don't want to say to you that I got scared into heaven, but we would have these evangelists come in and they would talk about the return of Jesus. And the other thing that was out there that really affected stuff was Jesus is coming back again. He's going to come back at any moment. Those two things are true, right? He can come back at any moment and you better be ready when he comes back. So young man. If you are sitting there in your chair and you're reading a Playboy magazine when Jesus comes back, you're not going with Him. You're staying and you're going to hell. And Christian, if you're sitting there when Jesus comes back and you're smoking a doobie or a cigarette or you're drinking a beer when Jesus comes back and He comes back and you're doing that, you're not ready and you're going to hell. And by the way, these preachers were all Calvinist preachers who believed you could not lose your salvation. But they terrified us in telling us that if we weren't ready, and that's how they interpreted not being ready, ready. I, I love my mom. Um, Mother's Day, I know, is difficult. I, we really thought my mom was not going to make it this year, but I'm blessed to say that we took her out of rehab on, um, on Thursday. Physical rehab. She broke her leg. <laughs> she's 90 years old. She wasn't in the other kind of rehab. But anyway, <laughs> and uh, she's doing great, right? And my, my niece was over. And she was talking, uh, she got in trouble at school. She was sitting on the couch uh, talking to my brother's wife, and they were whispering. My mother, who's 90, said, Whispers are lies, and lies are sins. And if you lie, you won't get in. It's the same line of thought. Right? If you're smoking a, a cigarette and Jesus returns, you're not getting in. That kind of thought. I said, wait, wait, wait a minute, Presley. I said, I said, uh, I said Nana, Grandma, Mom. I said, um, where'd you hear that? She said, well, that's what we were told in Sunday school when I was a little girl. Whispers are lies. Lies are sin. You tell a lie, you don't get in. And I said, that's really interesting. Um, now, what were they doing in teaching that? They're trying to get the kids to not lie but you don't necessarily have to teach bad theology right to get a kid not to lie does your behavior determine whether or not you go to heaven i'm not even at the notes yet folks your behavior is not what determines whether you go to heaven or not what 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 is the gospel jesus is god we're sinners. We're not God. We sin. Jesus died for our sins. If you want to get in, you believe in Jesus. You trust him to save you. Saved by grace through faith, not of what? Works. 
lest any man should boast. But we've, we've developed a religious system that's very confusing to people because our religious system to teach right behavior is rooted in incorrect theology. If I'm going to live a godly life, first of all, I can't do it. I'm not capable. I have to rely on the grace and mercy of God. I have to rely on the Spirit of God to give me strength so that I can live the way that God wants me to live, number one. Number two, I don't want to live out of, out of a guilt. I want to live the Christian faith because I love God, and I'm thankful and graceful for what Jesus has done for me. So therefore, if the Word says, don't lie, I'm not going to lie, not to earn a place in heaven, but to honor the one that I call my Savior, Jesus. So I'm going to tell the truth because Jesus died for me. Paul says, do we just keep on sinning so that grace may abound? No, that's not the point. Our behavior doesn't determine the amount of God's grace. Our behavior does not determine the amount of love that God pours out in our lives. God is not a lover like you and I. God loves because he is love. It's in his very nature to love us. And we have forgiveness in Jesus and, the, and, and all of that is tied in. So there's a lot of stuff. I keep talking about clearing out the bushes. we got to clear out the bushes um, in terms of the return of Jesus. Okay, so let's just get in uh, to the passage. We're going to be in, in Matthew. I've got me back in Daniel. But we're going to go to Daniel next week. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1 in, in a moment, okay? Put your finger there. Those of you that are flicking, if you have a, a digital Bible, I apologize. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to have to change some things up to get this done here in time. So Acts 1.8, I don't want us to forget that. And, and I'm going to look at verse 4. Just, let's just do the review. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we spoke about two weeks ago. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I, I want you to notice and remember what I just read there. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, 
will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, uh, help us to keep the first things first. Help us to remember what being ready is all about. And I thank you for all that. Speak to us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I should have prayed before I said some of that other stuff. Matthew chapter 28. That's supposed to be a joke, but that's okay. Matthew chapter 28, a reminder of setting the stage in verse 18. Verse 16 to get the context. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, let's continue and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to skip all the way down to verse 50. All the way down to verse 50. All of the other verses I want to encourage you to read on your own. I would have done that, but I've taken up time uh, talking about some other things, so I'm not going to, but just read all those other verses. But verse 50 says this. Paul is writing and explaining that Jesus has died and was resurrected from the dead, and that we too are going to experience resurrection. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the imperishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Remember that, Matthew 28, Acts 1.8. Now, Let's go to one other place to set the stage, and that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to go all the way down to verse 13. We, we hear these lots of times in funerals, some of these verses. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the scripture is really clear that the return of Christ, us joining him and experiencing that resurrection, whether alive or dead, is tied to the first coming, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the return of Christ. You don't get to pick and choose what you believe in, in all of these writings because they are tied together and they are all connected. Now, let's look at some events that Jesus gives that will precede the return of Jesus. So now go back to Matthew chapter 24. And we'll read, and I'm going to point out a few key verses in there. And some warnings as well. And then promise that we're going to dig even deeper next week. Verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Let me ask you a question. Was the temple destroyed? Historically in history, was it destroyed? Yes, it was destroyed. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered. Now, y'all, this, this right here is just as relevant as when Jesus wrote it in terms of being deceived. Because there's all kinds of folks out there claiming to be Jesus. So just follow along. Jesus answered. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. I can remember my dad, who, when he was in the Marine, was a tacit kind of sideline Christian. But when he got out of the Marines, he started coming to the same church that I did. He got involved in the ministries of the church, singing in the choir. And, and I can remember sitting there next to him in church and, and the preacher going on about wars and rumors of wars. And he's, and he's a Marine who fought in China, Korea, Vietnam, and the Philippines on two occasions. And he said, you know, it seems to me that there's been wars and rumors of wars for a really long time. Okay, so he wasn't buying it, the fear tactic, okay? The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. We experiencing famines? About earthquakes in various places. Yeah, seems like it's getting worse, right? Okay. Um, 
these are the beginning of birth pains. Then, so by the way, during the time of Jesus and the centuries following, were there wars and rumors of wars? Uh, were there earthquakes? Were there famines? Absolutely. Were there pestilence, pestilence, sicknesses, great plagues, everything, okay? Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Well, all of that happened historically. All of those apostles, except for John, and John survived execution, were executed. Some of them were skinned alive, right? They were hung upside down on crosses. They were killed. They were flayed. They were desecrated. They died. Many, many followers of Jesus went into the arena and were killed by lions at the hand of Nero and other emperors. And throughout history, many people who are followers of Jesus who have died, have been executed, have been put to death. And, and that's all true. And throughout history and today, there are individuals who will betray and walk away from Jesus and they will hate each other. And there are friends, family members, cousins by the dozens and all, some people that you've known forever who will look you in the face and say, you're a Christian, I don't believe that, and they will walk away from relationship with you, and that's hurtful and it's painful, but it's reality. Stuff like that happens all of the time. But this, the increase of wickedness, Y'all, what was once wicked is now called good, and what is good is now called evil and hate. Everything's flipped upside down. There's never been wickedness as it exists, and, and, and I can't get any fire, any more fiery about that than to state it. You know it. We're living it. You know, you can't even watch the news now with your grandkids in the room with you. Can you? It's all about murder, mayhem. Let's watch the news. Why? It's just going to be how many people got murdered? What politician did that or didn't do? You know, all that stuff is going on. Who's in court? Who's in trial? I mean, it's just very, very disturbing, the world that we live in. And so I want to suggest to you that things are getting bad. And this verse is key to this. Now remember, Acts 1-8, wait be empowered by the Spirit, and then go to the nations. Matthew chapter 28 said what? Go ye into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look what this verse says in verse 14. This is the driving force behind our movement. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony where? To all nations. And then the end will come. Now, there are some theologians who point out that Acts chapter 2 describes a scene where every Jew from every nation is gathered at Pentecost when the Spirit of God is poured out on the church. And they suggest that this statement, the gospel will be preached to all nations, has already been fulfilled 
in Acts chapter 2 in that moment at Pentecost. There are others who don't agree. We don't necessarily agree with that because we are fervently taking the gospel to all nations. I know that in May, when Paul and Lorenzo and Tom Wissink and I go to general counsel, that 50, 50, 50 new workers are going to be sent out primarily to countries where the gospel has not been proclaimed or into that window of geography in the world where the gospel is forbidden. And they're going in to preach the gospel to all nations because there are millions who have not heard. And that is what drives us. Verse 15, and I'm going to spend more time talking about this next week. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be to those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. In those days, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. It's po if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So in other words, Jesus is saying, don't listen to that guy who says, I'm over there, I'm over there, I'm over there. When I return, Jesus says, and, and as you read this passage and other passages in Luke and all, the return of Jesus is going to be a visible thing. Remember Acts 1, 8, that passage that we read that said that, why do you stand looking? This same Jesus who took, who left you will return in this same way. So when Jesus returns, I don't know how it's going to happen, but we are all going to see him return. There's nothing figurative about it. This is not literature. This is not fanciful. The scriptures clearly say. And he gives an illustration, okay? He says, um, as lightning comes from the east and is visible even in the west. So the, the illustration of lightning, you see it. Or wherever there's a carcass, where the vultures will gather. Do you guys, you know where a carcass is, right? Because you see vultures. I mean, it's clear to the eye. I mean, you might not be able to find a robin, but you drive around a little bit, you're going to find a vulture somewhere, right? Because they're looking for roadkill. And it's not all gone because we're not in Tennessee or Kentucky. But anyway, all right. My apologies. <clears throat> Immediately after the destroy, I had a friend that ate roadkill all the time. Cheryl Middleton, God bless her. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. 
Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels, what's it say, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you'll know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things from the fig tree, you'll see all these things, and you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away till all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a, mill hand, with a hand mill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let, have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing, uh, master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour when he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First of all, question. As I read that passage, in return, and Christ returns and the nations will warn, why, mourn. Why are the nations mourning? Not all the nations will be mourning because there will be many rejoicing because they recognize the return of Christ. The nations will be mourning because most folks will have decided that this Jesus stuff is a bunch of baloney. They're not believing it. It's a fairy tale. It's made up. It's mythology. And we're not going to believe it. And when Jesus returns, they're going to look up at the sky and recognize the historical events. And they're going to mourn. And they're going to wail. And they're going to weep because they're going to realize, oh my gosh, what those crazy people said was true. And Jesus is returning. Number one. Number two. You and I need to be ready for the return of Christ, but I want you to notice the illustration. The illustration is a behavioral illustration about a servant who's been told to do something by his master and who stops doing what he's been told to party with his buddies. 
and the master comes home and catches him. The issue is not the servant partying with his buddies or getting drunk. The issue is the servant is not doing what his master told him to do. And what did Jesus tell us to do? Go into Jerusalem, wait, wait, why? Until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be what? Witnesses, my witnesses in my name. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, his last command, our first concern. I've heard that sermon a thousand times. What was his last command? Go ye where? Into the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, teaching them how to live. That's what being ready is. Being about the master's business. Can I say it that way? Being about the master's business. You know, I got to tell you, as a preacher, and I've said this a few times over the last couple of months, this is a weird time to be a preacher. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I can make money in a whole bunch. I, I do a lot of different jobs, you know, like I'm kind of entrepreneurial and all that kind of stuff. I don't make most of my income from the church. No, I don't. I work just like you, okay? And, and my, I can remember my father saying, Brian, you're a dang fool. He didn't say dang. I said, why? He said, you're going, you went from being a school teacher where you didn't get paid nothing. No, my dad didn't speak with a southern accent, so what am I doing? He said, Brian, you're a dang fool. You went, you're going from being a teacher who gets paid nothing to, pa to being a pastor who's dependent on people's giving for your livelihood who could change their mind at any moment whether or not they want to pay you. I said, yeah, because God has placed that call in my life. This isn't about business. It's not about money. It's about doing what God has called me to do. He said, well, you're still a fool. Okay. I'm going to be about, I'll be a fool for Jesus. Amen. He loved me. We got along fine, but I'll be a fool for Jesus, you know. And, and there's all kinds of other ways to make money, and it gets hard, and you know, it'd be so easy just to go do something else. You know how good of a car salesman I would be? I had a guy one time on a governing board of a church said that I could sell ice to Eskimos. <laughs> but no, we have to be about God's business and do what God has called us to do and, and to serve him in fullness. The, that's what the warnings are about. Not to get sidetracked, um, not to get diverted, but rather to do what he has called us to do and to be the people that he has called us to be. There's a lot more to say, but I'm going to save that for next week. Uh, I'm going to ask Bob and Vic, the other two-thirds of what we call the C-Team worship team, to come and, and lead us in our final song. And as we sing this final 